0: My drug of choice is work, so if I'm starting to notice that I am just piling things on and I'm making sure I'm so busy I don't have time to notice, that's usually a pretty big red flag for me.
1: In today's episode of Discovering Wholeness, we'll discuss the wounded pastor or wounded caregiver. We want to address the importance of faith leaders doing the work to become aware of their own trauma and to heal their own wounds. Season one of Discovering Wholeness is sponsored by the Hayden Institute. Meditation, yoga, dream groups, music, creative expression. Join the Hayden Institute virtually for five days this summer At the Dream and Spirituality Conference, nine keynotes and more than 30 workshops will help participants engage the unconscious, make meaning, and become more fully who they were created to be. At the Hayden Institute's Dream and Spirituality Conference, participants forge beautiful memories, connections, art, and life-changing insights. Learn more at haydeninstitute.com.
2: Welcome to Discovering Wholeness, a podcast for any human practicing being for healing trauma and unearthing self. I'm Kendra Frazier.
1: I'm Julian Drader. And I'm Kendall Rothis. We are your hosts and we invite you to join us as we peel back the layers of trauma and discover our innate wholeness. Trauma has been
0: a significant part of many of our journeys, whether those traumas are with a big T or with a little T.
2: We gather each week to discuss trauma, spirituality, and staying grounded as we heal ourselves and walk alongside those who are healing.
1: We are so glad you've joined us. You can participate in the larger conversation with us on Instagram and Facebook at Discovering Wholeness Podcast.
0: We're so excited to talk with you because trauma is such an important topic. We recognize that trauma is also a very sensitive topic. And so we invite you into our centering moments and ask that you join us in our grounding exercise at the beginning, middle and ending of each episode, if that feels right for you. Today, I'd like to invite you into something called a butterfly hug. And if it feels okay for you, I want to invite you to cross your arms over your chest and just have the tips of your middle fingers from each hand just around your collarbone. And if it feels okay, you can lock your thumbs together. And just as you feel that connection to your body, Just begin gently to alternate, tapping with your hands on your shoulders, left to right, left to right. Just gently feeling the presence of your own hands. Just gently connecting with your upper body. And also if it feels right for you, you can notice your breath as you tap, it's taking in a gentle breath through your nose, breathing out through your mouth, or just focus on your hands tapping if that feels better for you. Noticing your feet on the floor, noticing how it feels for your body to be held in the chair that you're in, just connecting to your physical being. And this alternating tapping Something that you can do anytime that you might feel a little stressed or maybe a little triggered, just to bring your body back into balance, to feel that sense of relaxation and calm. So, as you notice this tapping, just invite you to just slowly come back to center to your body, taking another deep breath. Come back to the room around you, notice what's around you, and join us in our conversation for today.
1: I'm Kendall Ray Rothis, and I will be facilitating today's conversation with my co-hosts Kendra Frazier and Jillian Drader. If you are listening today and you are a faith leader of some kind, a, a pastor, a mentor, a spiritual director, a chaplain, or if you provide care in some way to hurting people, then this episode is for you. We believe that no person escapes this life without some wounding. And this is just as true for us, the so-called leaders and ministers and professionals. There's no immunity cloak that keeps us from experiencing trauma. In fact, it's probably fair to assume that many of us went into helping professions in part because of the pain we ourselves experienced. So what we want to talk about today is our pain and our trauma because if as helpers and healers we don't heal our own stuff that's likely to have a really negative impact on the populations we serve. I know that all three of us are very aware of the way unhealed trauma can damage ministry. Kendra, I'd like to start with you. Can you give us an example or two from your own life of how unresolved wounds in a pastor or leader can end up creating more harm?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Kendall. I think it's a great question. I'll start with myself first. I think for me, being a survivor of uh, molestation and sexual abuse, it um, can often blurred the lines of healthy boundaries um, for so many people who have incurred the same type of wounding. And um, I'm so grateful to have done a lot of healing work prior to getting in a pastorate role with my own sexual abuse history, um, because if you are not attentive to it, it can show up in the ways that you engage those that you are ministering to, whether that is, um, I'll give an example, being in um, the mental health facility that I was the founding executive director of and having a client who um, also so incurred the same type of wounding, similar wounding in terms of sexual abuse um, and would reach out to give me a hug, but it was a hug that was uncomfortable for me because it lasted a bit too long and I had to sit with my clinical supervisor as well as my therapist to talk about my discomfort and why I didn't stop the hug when it was breaching my own comfort level and I remember having to talk to this particular client about my discomfort and really needing to model for her what healthy boundaries look like and I didn't know that she had taken on this attraction to me prior to my disclosing that I had to create some boundaries um and so that is one example I think that sometimes we can um because of our position as a leader want to take care of people but often times can miss when it when we need to show up for ourselves and set a healthy boundary. And so from that moment on, I stopped um, really hugging people in the clinical environment Um, which was a different type of engagement than I would show up in the church, but also still being mindful about my own boundaries. Um, I think it can also show up if you are a spiritual leader that grows up in an invalidating environment at home where you aren't um, given the opportunity to express the full gamut of your emotions or um, the way that you feel is belittled. That can show up in a spiritual community by, you when it comes to conflict by you shutting down by you giving others the silent treatment which is not helpful or productive for business or for ministry those are some of the ways that i have seen um unhealed trauma show up in spiritual communities before
1: gosh thank you kendra for sharing so openly and vulnerably from your own experience and i i mean i resonate too as someone who's had my boundaries violated, then as a minister, it has been hard to, to learn, right? How that, that I can, in fact, keep my boundaries intact. And so doing that work, um, to heal my own stuff is just, it's just crucial. Um, Jillian, I'm wondering what you would add to this part of the conversation. Thanks,
0: Kendall. I, I mean, I definitely first, Kinder, just want to acknowledge your your sharing and your openness, and and I feel it in my own heart. Even just hearing, knowing you, and how amazing and wonderful you are, just the journey you've been on. So thank you for your willingness to share that so personally. I I really, um, yeah, I really resonate deeply as well with this whole con- conversation about boundaries. That you know, I I think back to my own sexual traumas, um, the areas that my boundaries were violated at a very young age and not understanding and having no guidance at that time in my life about what was appropriate, what was okay, what wasn't okay. And just thinking that, you know, I was 13 when the very first incident happened and thought, oh, this must be just the way things happen with people. And how that then skewed my concept of boundaries. And then within the ministry years, um, mixing that with, over-functioning in a family system. I was super overly responsible, over-functioned. There weren't great boundaries there either. And I just really saw how in my my work and in the environments that I was a part of, uh, there were a lot of boundaries now looking back that were crossed a lot and, and so many other leaders that were coming from that place of wounding and really trying to heal our own trauma through their relationships in ministry, which can get so messy, complicated, and then traumatize other people, retraumatize ourselves, and not a lot of guidance. And so the importance of really understanding that doing our work, and and we're going to say it over and over and over and over again, it, it almost starts to sound a little cliche after a while, but it's absolutely crucial. I was probably in my mid to late 20s and have, was married already before I realized that I had experienced trauma nobody had actually ever helped me understand that and I was already in ministry and that conversation had never happened and I'll always remember standing in the middle of a bookstore in downtown Vancouver BC um, and picking up a book about what adult children of families where there's been addiction experience and what that looks like which was part of my family's story and just weeping in the middle of this store because Nobody had ever given me that language before and finally I understood not only what I had experienced was being validated but that there was actually another way to be and that there was there was healing and there were words for it and that it actually wasn't the way it was supposed to be and I think intuitively in in my knowing I had sensed that things weren't really quite right but I didn't have words and so the the importance of finding language. And we talked a little bit about that in the last episode about normalizing this conversation within our communities and, and within our, our relationships as, as spiritual leaders and with our congregants or the people that we're ministering to, We've, we need to start talking about it and give it words so that we can bring that same awareness and, and freedom and then possibility for healing to others.
1: Jillian, I'm just feeling so much tenderness for your 13-year-old self. Um, thank you for sharing that. So, so I think it's so clear that it is important for leaders and caregivers to do their own healing work, but not just because of the harm we can cause if we don't do it. We can also foster so much good if we do the work. Um So obviously healing is a journey and we can't just wait around until every little piece of ourselves is healed before we start to help others. But I believe if we are actively on that healing journey ourselves, it can greatly empower our ministry, make it stronger, make it better. So on the flip side of the harm that can be caused... Jillian, I'm wondering, can you share a story with us about how doing your own healing makes you a more effective leader or caregiver?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about particularly in my role as a spiritual director and the ways in which my appropriate boundaries again um, disclosure of my own healing journey has helped other directees who are maybe coming. Out of their own trauma, or or just out of systems that have been oppressive for them, um, have been able to open up and feel heard. Um, I'm thinking of one particular directee who was so afraid to share about the traumas that she'd experienced because there was still so much shame attached to it, and this sense of needing to have it all figured out, and you know, I need to be more spiritual, and all of those kinds of things, but. By me having done my work and certainly again I haven't arrived I don't think we ever really do on maybe this side of the veil, so to speak. Um, I was just able to share a little bit about my journey that allowed her to make to feel that it was okay to have these issues in her own life around abuse that had never been talked about um, around the ways that her experience with um, her church community had been so hurtful and so I feel as though it opens I just sort of get this image of gates opening like everything gets broader and wider and there's room to um, be together in
1: the struggle but also in the hope. Uh I resonate with that so much because once I started doing my own work, um, I'm thinking particularly around my experience of domestic abuse inside marriage. Once I was doing my work, I also started talking about it more publicly, um, you know, from the pulpit and in things I was writing. And the number of women who started confiding in me, you know, just grew exponentially. So it opened this, like you were saying, it opened this gate for for safety um, and the ability for people to share their their own stories. Kendra, do you have a story you'd like to add about how healing helps our ministry?
2: The story that's coming to mind for me is doing a trauma informed training for um, a church community uh, where the majority of those participants were African American and talking about trauma and vicarious trauma of this gentleman recalled um, 15 years prior um, witnessing um, someone get shot and not connecting until that moment that his avoidance of a particular area um, over the past 15 years where this young person was was murdered. um, Some of the, the dreams that he would have sporadically were connected to him being traumatized. So it really gives people new language, like Gillian said, to say, me too, and to um, not be afraid of voicing um, some of those things that come along with even experiencing vicarious trauma, even though it didn't happen directly, directly to you. I think some people can feel like, oh, I just need to get over it. It didn't happen to me, it happened to someone else, but your nervous system was still impacted by it and you matter. And so I think that doing this work of um, inviting people to know more about trauma really supports people in being more self-aware, not only for themselves, but giving other people the, the grace and the space to be able to go along their own healing journeys as well.
1: I'm really glad you brought up vicarious trauma because that is certainly something we as ministers, caregivers, Um, experience, you know, secondhand trauma from what we hear. Um, So clearly, as I think we've demonstrated so far, doing the healing work matters. Uh, However, we know that is easier said than done. And so we want to talk about some of the concrete ways to engage the healing process for yourself. But first, I think what we want to do is name some of the obstacles that are in the way of leaders pursuing their own healing. Like before you can even get around to the work, there can be these blockages that keep you from moving forward. And Jillian, what what would you say might serve as an obstacle for a faith leader who needs healing?
0: I would say that one of the big ones that I've seen is this whole idea of of being a servant um, and how that can turn so quickly into workaholism, almost um, without wanting to sound judgmental, but there's almost a martyrdom that can come along with that. Like, I have to be all things to all people my ministry comes first i've been called to the ministry all this language that we hear. about why I can't take care of myself as a spiritual leader, because everything else is more important, The church is more important, my needs don't matter God will sustain me Um, yes there's truth to all of that. However, we're not called to be completely sacrificing who we are, and it's not in the best interest of these people that we're trying to serve as leaders if we take that on. And I quite honestly find sometimes um, that that can also be a way to avoid that, um, that there's a lot of awareness, perhaps, but not a way through or a way forward in terms of what a person might be aware of in their their own journeys of needing to do some healing work. And so being the servant leader becomes a really respectable, honored way of avoiding all that. Um, But I think it's also reinforced. I mean, certainly, I um, have seen that with leadership, where they perhaps have tried to make a move toward being vulnerable with their supervisors or their people that they report to about a struggle and being not given that support and just told to kind of, you know, carry you're here, God will take care of it. The language that we've talked about in the, in the other episodes, but yeah, just that tendency to really over in ways yes. that is not healthy.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes ministers as ministers, we feel this pressure to like be perfect, Uh that we're supposed to be so spiritual or so connected to God that we don't need help. And and like you said, sometimes our communities expect that of us. And that can just be so harmful because it forces ministers to live up to a false narrative. Um, I, I like to tell my clients who are clergy that It's not their job to be an example to the church of how to be perfect. It's their job to be an example to the church of how to be fully human. So when you as a leader ask for help, you are demonstrating to the congregation that it is okay to need help. When you as a leader express that you need rest, you are teaching your congregation that rest is necessary. So instead of, you know, trying to stay on the pedestal we've been placed on, let's normalize that we are regular people. And like all regular people, we have needs, we have limits and we have wounds that need
2: healing. I'm thinking about Brene Brown's book Daring greatly in this moment and how she talks about vulnerability being a superpower and how so many men particularly because most of her research initially was geared towards women but so many men carry a lot of shame around being vulnerable and so what it means to lean into saying when you when you need help um i think it's critical for the sustaining of ministry because ultimately what i like to tell people is that the ministry is you your ministry is as well as you are doing as a spiritual leader. Um, And so I think that that's something um, that we all have to be mindful of.
1: Thank you, Kendra. Let's pause here for a gentle breather before we continue the conversation. Jillian, can you guide us into our grounding exercise? As we transition from the conversation
0: to another brief breather, I invite you to again Notice your feet on the floor, your body in the chair, or wherever you find yourself sitting. And if it feels right for you, just invite you to take in a breath. And as you breathe in, just count to four. Hold that breath for a count of four. Breathe out for four. Hold that breath for four. Again, whatever feels best for you. You can have your eyes open, your eyes closed. Just again, breathing in. One, two, three, four. Holding for four. One, two, three, four. Breathing out for four. One, two, three, four, and holding that breath again for four, one, two, three, four, and again, noticing your feet on the floor, your body in your chair, and joining us again as we continue our conversation.
1: Hi, I'm Kendall Rothis, and I love my work as a spiritual director providing healing for the spiritually wounded. I work most often with women, the LGBTQ community, and clergy. If you are interested in reimagining what spirituality could look like on the other side of healing, please follow me on Instagram at Kendall Ray Rothis, or check out my website kindlerayrothis.com. That's Kindle, K-Y-N-D-A-L-L, Ray, R-A-E, Rothis, R-O-T-H-A-U-S, com. Welcome back to Discovering Wholeness. I'm Kindle Rothis, today's episode facilitator, and I'm joined by Kendra Frazier and Jillian Trader. Our hope is that by acknowledging just how important your own healing is, and by naming some of the obstacles that can get in the way of the healing, you now feel more empowered to overcome those obstacles and embrace your own healing. But the next question is how? (laughs) How? do we heal from our wounds? And that, of course, is a way bigger question than we can cram into one episode, but we'd like to begin with a few basics. And uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is how important it is as spiritual caregivers to be receiving care, not just giving it. I think we all need a therapist or a spiritual director or perhaps ideally both. Um, so, if you're if you're a caregiver and you're looking for your own therapist or your own spiritual director, but you want that person to be trauma informed, how do you find a therapist or a spiritual director that is trauma informed themselves? Um, Jillian, can you give us some pointers about you know what to look for when searching for your own therapist or or director or guide of some kind?
0: certainly and there are um a lot of important questions i think what comes to mind actually when you first introduce this this part of our conversation and i've struggled with this myself is finding somebody who is not part of our immediate community like having a place to go that is not somebody who you're going to see at a gathering, or and that can be a hard thing to do. So it it does tie in a little bit again with the boundaries conversation. But then specifically, what would we want to look for is I I think it's about honestly having some really clear questions when you're meeting perhaps with a therapist, uh, with a potential spiritual director, or somebody that you're looking to for spiritual care, taking... The step to ask them specifically what does trauma mean to you how do you define trauma Um, what is your training in the area of trauma Uh, what is a time that perhaps um, you were experiencing trauma or without you know somebody's not going to divulge their personal story but how do, what are the ways in which very specifically asking a, a person how do you work with trauma and I think that what we're doing in this podcast is that we also then have to have an understanding ourselves of well what am I even what am I even asking um, but if you're in a scenario where you're you're asking those questions of somebody and they really don't have answers for you or perhaps they come back with a negating of well you know we we need to just about that or we don't need to be too concerned about that or and just sort of dismiss to a certain extent and I've seen that happen then that's a pretty good indicator that this person maybe just hasn't been trained or it's not an area that they want to be trained in but it's important to be very direct I think about the questions it's almost like you're interviewing and I and I think that that's a place sometimes that can feel uncomfortable especially if a person is coming from a a background of trauma or they haven't had that sense of agency in the past, so having maybe a list written out ahead of time or maybe if it's more comfortable to do that even through an email as you're just setting up an initial appointment so you're not feeling um, the pressure of being in the moment face to face. Um, there are many resources and we will add some of them to our our show notes um, of, of actual. there's books that you can buy that will help guide like what are specific questions you can ask um, but certainly being very direct about how have you worked with trauma in the past? what does that mean to you? how would I know if um, you are open to working with trauma? Um, Have you done your own work? I think those are fair questions um, without, you know, crossing again people's personal boundaries. Those would be some of the things that I would certainly encourage people to do. Have a list, specific questions around trauma, and it's absolutely appropriate and important to ask those questions.
1: That's so helpful. I, I know that the very first time I went to therapy, I had no idea that I was allowed <laughs> to do that. You know, I mean, I think I just had this right. mindset that like, oh, they're the professional and I'm just supposed to show up and mm-hmm. trust, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I had to learn over time that I could be my own advocate and that I could ask questions to make sure that it was a good fit because the therapy isn't really going to be effective if it's if it's not a good fit and you, you don't feel safe. And I think in
0: spiritual context, just to add to that, the, the power dynamic is is so much at play. I think even honestly, more so than in a therapeutic setting, and certainly, Kendra, I'm, you could speak to that more, but I think that that's because somehow now God's in the mix and you know, so now I'm not only asking questions of this spiritual leader, but now am I actually maybe then questioning God? Like, am I, you know, it gets a little trickier um, and maybe feels a little more intimidating. But I also, again, just want to really emphasize that your voice matters.
1: I mean, hopefully if as as a spiritual leader or caregiver, you have access to help and support at all times, but there are also these times when we really need the extra help. And I'm wondering, um, how do we even know? How do we even know when we need help? Um, I know I've certainly experienced this in my own life where where, um, I get so busy working so busy helping others that I'm not even aware (laughs) that I'm overextending myself or how I'm not tending to my own needs or how I'm being um, mistreated in, in a work environment. And so Kendra, I'm wondering if you could speak to how we know, like what are some signs we can be watching for in ourselves that Burnout is impending, or that we have experienced trauma. I mean, perhaps you even have a few personal examples you'd be willing to share.
2: I think um, for me, some of the things that come up are um, frequent uh, irritation. Um, I also, a um, leaning in more to coping strategies that may not be so helpful, whether that's substances or alcohol. Um, another thing that comes to mind is um, withdrawal, seeing yourself withdrawing from from others. Um, and I think something else that comes, comes to mind is um, recognizing when you are having a challenging time focusing. Typically when we're nearing burnout, we have some challenges around concentration
1: Yeah. You know, it reminds me for me, sometimes it's actually, there's like two sides of the coin. Sometimes it looks like lack of energy and Mm -hmm. really needing to feel like I need to sleep all the time, but other times it's like over-functioning. It's like I work extra hard. I think almost as a way to not Mm. have to pay attention (laughs) to, to the feelings. Yeah,
0: I would really agree with that. Kindle, it can go one or the other. Definitely for me, My drug of choice is work. So if I'm starting to notice that I am just piling things on and I'm making sure I'm so busy, I don't have time to notice, that's usually a pretty big red flag for me. Um, Sleep can sometimes be if sleep's getting disrupted or if I'm starting to have a lot of dreams about certain situations or circumstances, that can definitely be an indicator. And I really resonate with what you said, Kinder, like that irritability piece, um, really short fuse. And and sometimes even um, body pain can be another big indicator, you know, a lot of tension in my body, or I'm getting more headaches or an aching, or um, so just that awareness of our whole being, you know, mind, body, spirit, um, emotions, like being aware enough to kind of be able then to discern when things are off kilter.
1: Finally, I'm also thinking then about just what are some of the small, practical, concrete ways we can take care of ourselves. I mean, I I think there are lots of ways and what works best is a little different for each person. So I want to get, I want to get personal here. Uh, Jillian, Kendra, what are some of the ways you practice self-care? Like what's most effective for you, kind of your go-to when you need to to decompress or or process some of that um, energy that's been activated?
2: I think for, for me, uh, meditation has become uh, a necessary practice for me uh, in the mornings to start my day off with, just the silence and the quiet. I often tell people that meditation is... Um, God's way of speaking to us and prayer is our way of speaking to God. Um, Ritual is also very important to me, Um, sacred ritual individually and collectively. Um, I believe very much in ancestral veneration and honoring those that have come before me whose shoulders I stand on. And so I have an ancestral shrine that I light a candle on every day to remember and to remind myself that I don't do this work alone, that there are a great cloud of witnesses that champion me. Um, Qigong is also a really uh, helpful practice for me too, just to circulate my energy and get it flowing and to make me more aware of what's happening in my body. Um, and as you said before, Kendall, every uh, I believe pastor needs a pastor, a spiritual director, every therapist needs a therapist. So therapy is something that I believe in, believe strongly in and my somatic experience practitioner that I see every other week has been extremely helpful. Um, and when I used to serve in, uh, as a chaplain in a hospital, one of the rituals that I practiced was hand washing with intention. To release whatever I picked up that was not mine to hold along the way um, and, and saying a prayer over myself or affirmation over myself during that hand washing. So, those are some things that are coming to mind in this moment.
1: Gosh, you know what I find so striking about your examples, Kendra, is almost all of them were so embodied, you know, and it's just not enough to talk it out, I don't think. You know, you know, I mean, your, your shrine is so visual, you know, the, the hand-washing is so tactile, um, finding ways to take care of ourselves that incorporate the body. Otherwise those negative experiences get stuck and trapped in our bodies. Um, so, so I, I love how much you emphasized the body. Jillian what about what about you what are some of your practices
0: I love uh, I love what you said to Kendra and I'm, I'm actually feeling inspired to go find a somatic practitioner um, but I uh, I have some I mean along with those things definitely the silence I need to get outside that's become very much a part even in this time of you know, sheltering in place, getting outside into nature. So even if that for me in the morning is maybe if I only have 15 minutes just to walk around the yard or walk around the neighborhood, it doesn't have to be these major big events all the time. Um, And then along with that, ritual is very important for me as well. And one of the ways that I have, uh, along with my spiritual space, my prayer space, I've also been really intentional about placing things around, say, my office, um, that are tactile reminders. So I have some icons on my desk, and I light a candle at the beginning of my day when I'm in my office. Uh, I have those as a reminder. And the other thing that I've done for many, many years, I used to do it back in the day when we actually wore watches, and they weren't Apple watches, they were just regular old watches. Um, when my kind of Monday to Friday routine, on a Friday at the end of the day, I would take that watch off. It did not go back on my wrist until Monday morning. Now I have some beads that I wear around my wrist and I have a ring that for me is, I have two rings and so for, they're very tactile things and they help me I have one that I wear all the time. That's a reminder of my commitment and my vow fidelity to myself and to the divine. And then I have another ring that's about my work and two bracelets that I wear regularly. And I take those off every night and I put them back on in the morning. And they're just like, a, a there's this sense of containment that it gives me like, okay, that part of my day is over. I'm moving and shifting now. Um, and so visual reminders for me are really important in my just like little things I think it's important to have micro mini little practices through the day that are not you know sort of once a week I do this or we need them throughout the day and and then of course I absolutely agree that I do my own spiritual direction um, my own therapy and I have my tribe my people that I can call up and cry, yell, scream, laugh down the phone with when I need to. And uh, I think that's another really important piece is who are the people around you that you don't need a lot of words, they just know.
1: Yeah, it it made me think um, of how for me, I I don't do this every time, but I really try to make it a regular practice that before I see a, a client, I mean, I always try to put a window of time both before and after. And, you know, And before for me, there's, I I have some tactile things that I'm often holding all through a session, Um, but I also have this sort of visualization practice of, I I, just, maybe this doesn't work for everybody, but it helps me. I almost visualize it's like a protective kind of shield um, where I just, I'm kind of asking for, you know, any of my negative stuff doesn't doesn't get passed to that person and their stuff doesn't get passed to me and and it I don't know I, I find that that helpful because it reminds me that their stuff is not my stuff to to carry I can listen empathetically but I don't have to absorb it in the same way um so thank you you both for sharing um I, I think there's lots of things we can do. I, th- I think walking is a big one for me. Um, just taking a bath, honestly. I, there is something very <laughs> releasing for me about just soaking. And I mean, I get into it. I put, like, I put candles and rocks and all sorts of visual things around that, you know, um, just kind of it helps me sink back into my body when I've gotten too into my head. Um, So there are lots of different tools people can use. Those are just a few suggestions. Thank you, um, Kendra. Thank you, Jillian, for sharing so vulnerably and openly in this conversation. We have more to talk about, but I think we'll uh, save that for the next episode. Specifically, I know we wanted to address not just the health of the individual leader, but how do we create a healthy and healing leadership team? Um, so we'll dive into that and more in next week's episode of Discovering Wholeness. Kendra, will you be so kind as to close us out for today?
2: As we close this episode in this moment, we invite you to place your right hand over your heart, feel your hand against your clothing, feel your heartbeat, and say aloud, I am whole. I'm Kendra Frazier.
0: I'm Jillian Drader. And I'm Kendall Raffes. We are Discovering Wholeness, Healing Trauma, Unearthing Self.
2: Join us in conversation at Discovering Wholeness Podcast on Instagram and Facebook.
0: Discovering Wholeness is produced in
1: partnership with Good Faith Media. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. If you are in crisis and need help, in the United States, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255.
0: In Canada, call the Center for Suicide Prevention at 1-833-456-4566. That's one 833 456
2: you can also use the Crisis Text Line from either country by texting the word HOME to 741741, that's HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741 to access a crisis counselor 24 hours a day, seven days a week.